Thank you, James. And uh, Ben, I am, I am blessed every time I hear them sing. I've known James all of his life. When he was a little boy, he used to come at the end of the service and stand next to me. And, and then as he got taller, he would stand up like he was as tall as I was. And, and one day he is going to be as tall as I am, but uh, not yet. He and I work out together down at CrossFit, and so we're both in great shape for that. I've known Matthew Phillips. Where'd Matthew go? Known Matthew all of his life, and uh, because his uh, his dad was my minister of music, and so I have uh, I've known him. Thank you so much for allowing us to be here. Linda and I are so excited about being a part of Village Church. The first uh, Sunday we were here. I guess Eric was about a third of the way through his message, and Linda turned to me and said, he's a lot better than you. <laughs> and I said, yeah, but, you know, where did he learn it? <laughs> I mean, you've got to give me some credit, but we're happy to be here with, with Eric and uh, Emily and, and admire them so much, and Janie. Janie's my encourager. Uh, she always has a word of encouragement. In fact, uh, when, when we retired, I went to the beach for a few weeks. And, and so there were three or four days I didn't shave, and I came back, and Janie saw me, and she looked at me, and she said, well, you've really let yourself go since you retired. <laughs> but she's always been a blessing to me, and I, I thank God for her. And then uh, Congressman Wilson and Roxanne, dear friends, longtime friends of ours, I've said before that I, I admire and like Joe a lot, but I love Roxanne. You know, she is, she is the power behind the wheel there, and I, I think the, the world of her and, and both of them, they are dear friends to us. And, and then Dr. and Mrs. Keller, uh, who are over here, he is the beloved pastor at First Baptist Church Hilton Head, pastor there for over 20 years. Hold up your hand, John, so that they can see you and, and uh, Linda. They are dear friends of us. And, I know that Wayne and uh, Barb Medeiros are here somewhere. They are from, where are they? Back there, they are from Savannah, and uh, so they have come up today to be here, and I appreciate them coming. And then James' parents over here, uh, Mark and Karen, y'all hold up your hand. I know that they already know you, but uh, they are dear friends as well, and I, I thank the Lord for them. Well, I read last week a story about two middle schoolers in Florida, ages 11 and 12, who had plans to kill 15 of their fellow students. They said that they wanted to eat their flesh and drink their blood, and they also confessed that they were worshipers of Satan. That's unsettling to us. I also saw recently, and you're aware of it because it was on the news on a regular basis, about the man in Florida who sent bombs to public figures to either kill them or to threaten them. And then last week there was a man in Pittsburgh who went into the Tree of Life synagogue and took the lives of 11 innocent people. When we see such things, it is very unsettling to us. I mean, it troubles us greatly. We, we are disturbed as a result of the things that are going on. But you need to understand that that is not exclusively to the United States. There is much confusion around the world today. For instance, in the European Union, there is the question about whether or not the countries are going to stay in the European Union. In Israel, there is the issue of the Palestinians. In the Middle East, there is continued volatility and violence. 
when we look around the world today and we see all the things that are happening to us that seem strange to us, it causes the serious person to ask the question, am I living in the last times? Am I living in the days of which I have read? Am I living at the time when Christ is coming again? That question was asked by the Thessalonians during the New Testament period. They were going through a time of suffering, of persecution, because of their faith in Christ, which unsettled them. They thought, maybe we are living in the tribulation period. There was someone who forged a letter from the Apostle Paul saying that Jesus had returned, and that confused them theologically. Some of them actually quit work, and so they were waiting for Christ to come back. Paul wrote 2 Thessalonians as a word of encouragement to them. I want us today to consider an overview of the last days. What does it mean, the last days? What happens? Take your Bibles and look with me at 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, we request you, brethren, with regard to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, that you may not be quickly shaken from your composure or be disturbed either by spirit or a message or a letter as if from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one in any way deceive you for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? Now, what events usher in the end of times? What happens? If this were the end of time, if these were the last days, what happens? I am going to present to this to you from a premillennial viewpoint because that's the way I understand Scripture. That's the way I interpret it. So this is a premillennial interpretation of Scripture. The first thing that will happen, as I understand, is the rapture of the church. That is the removal of the church, the removal of the people of God. In chapter 4, verse number 17, Paul wrote, Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. We shall be caught up. The word rapture is not found in Scripture. That is not a scriptural word. The source for the word, however, is this caught up. That we will be caught up. We who are alive and remain will be caught up. Those who are the people of God. Those who have been born into the family of God, hopefully you. They will be caught up. They will be raptured. Kenneth Weiss gave us some understanding as to what the word means as he applies it to Scripture. He said it can mean to catch away speedily. It was used that way in the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, 39. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away. To snatch away, that's the word that is used there. So it means to catch away speedily. It also, he said, can mean to seize by force. And it was used that way in Matthew eleven twelve. And now the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take it by force. 
There are times whenever God tells us to do something and we need a little pressure placed on us to do it, correct? There are times when we are not inclined to do what we believe God wants us to do. For instance, the Lord said to Lot, Lot, I'm going to judge the earth. I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And you need to get your family, your wife and your daughters out before judgment comes. But Lot was not inclined to do so. So the Bible says in Genesis 19, 15, and 16, and when morning dawned, the angel urged Lot, saying, Up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away in the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. He didn't want to do what God told him to do. Thus he had to be urged. Sometimes God tells us to do something and we need a little urging, do we not? The Bible says, the Bible refers to the second coming of Christ as the blessed hope. It is not something for the child of God to fear. It is not something to trouble you. The Bible says that it is our blessed hope. Now let me ask you a question. Is it your blessed hope today? Are you excited about the return of Christ? Oh, I suppose that all of us are looking forward to the return of Christ in a way, but just not today. There was a preacher preaching a revival, and he preached on the second coming of Jesus, and then he got, he got into the Spirit, and he said, everybody who's looking for the return of Christ, and you want to go to heaven, I want you to stand up. Well, everybody stood up except for one old fellow in the back, and he sat there. The pastor didn't know what to do, and so finally he said, well, sir, he said, don't you want the Lord to come back and, and to go to heaven? He said, yes, sir. He said, well, you didn't stand. He said, well, preacher, the way you was carrying on, I thought you were getting up a load today. Well, that's the way a lot of us are about the return of Christ. You know, it is our blessed hope. We want it to come. We want to go to heaven, right? But not today. I preached once on the second coming of Jesus, and Stephanie was a little girl. We went home after the service was over. I was sitting in the chair. She had gone upstairs, and then she came back down. She crawled up in my lap, and she said, Daddy, she said, you talked about Jesus coming back? I said, yeah. She said, well, I want Jesus to come back. I said, yeah, sure. She said, but I was planning to go to college. <laughs> well, a lot of us are that way, aren't we? I mean, it's our blessed hope. We want the Lord to come back, but I was planning to go to college. I was planning to do something else, so it means to seize by force. The rapture means to seize by force. Sometimes the Lord has to urge us. It also can mean to claim for oneself, and it was used that way concerning the bridegroom coming for his bride. It means to rescue from danger, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers from the wrath to come. All right, so the rapture then means the removal of the church. So the rapture removes the people of God from this earth and honestly, I know no reason why that couldn't happen today. I know nothing that needs to be fulfilled before the rapture takes place. It seems to me that it has all been fulfilled. And so it could occur today, the rapture of the church, the catching up of the people of God. Now then, after the church has been removed, then comes the day of the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 2, For you yourselves know full well that the day of the Lord will come just like a thief in the night. 
while they are saying peace and safety, then destruction will come upon them suddenly like birth pangs upon, upon a woman or child, and they shall not escape. So what happens then in the final days? There's the rapture of the church, the catching up of the people of God. After that occurs, then is the day of the Lord. That is when the wrath of God is poured out on those who are left behind. Have you ever wondered what restrains God's judgment today with all of this that goes on that goes on? I have said before, it's a good thing I'm not God because I would have wiped all of you out. Wouldn't you? I mean, with all this nonsense that's taking place and this open hostility and rebellion towards the Lord and his word and the things of God, what restrains the wrath of God? Why doesn't he do something? Why doesn't he end it all? What restrains him? Look at verse 6 in our text. And you know what restrains him now, so that in his time he may be revealed. The word restrained that is used there refer is in the neuter gender, which is believed then to refer to the church, that it is a reference to the church. What restrains God's wrath now? The church. Oh, I know that there are those who want the church removed. We want them removed from politics. Has no place there, no business there. The church is to be removed from education. The word of God has no place there. The church is to be removed from business. Has no place there. Folks, let me tell you something. There's coming a day when the church will be removed. But understand, the restraint will be removed with it. You see, it is the church that holds back the wrath of God now. That's what he says there in verse 6. And then you look at verse number 7. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. There, the word restrain is used in the masculine gender, which is believed to refer to the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit restrains. So Warren Wiersbe said the Holy Spirit will certainly be present on the earth during the day of the Lord, but he will not be restraining the force of evil as he is today. So what happens at the end of time? Let's say that this is it. First of all, is the rapture. It is the catching away of the people of God. If you know the Lord Jesus, at any moment, you could be caught away to be with the Lord. Then comes the day of the Lord, which is the wrath of God that is poured out upon the earth and the revelation of the Antichrist. If you look at verse number 3 of our text, he says, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself that he is God. Only John uses the term Antichrist. So when Paul is referring to the lawless one there, he is referring to the Antichrist. He just does not use the word itself. Vine says that the word Antichrist can mean against, that he's against Christ, or instead of, that he established himself instead of Christ, the Antichrist. 
throughout history there have been those figures believed to have been the Antichrist. You know, I mean, like Hitler was believed to be the Antichrist. Stalin believed to be the Antichrist. I thought it was interesting that uh, a week or so, I think it was last week, that Rudy Giuliani retweeted an article suggesting that George Soros was the Antichrist. Now, it doesn't make any difference to me whether you believe that or not or I believe that or not. That, that thing, that's not important. What is important to me is the recognition of the Antichrist. There seems to be something that there is a recognition, even in high places, of the Antichrist. Now, the Bible does not tell us who the Antichrist is, but it does describe what he does to us. And the Bible says that he will establish a political kingdom. The Antichrist, when, see, the church has been raptured, it is removed. So the people of God have been removed. The Antichrist is now revealed and he establishes a political kingdom. And his platform is peace. And according to the Bible, for the first three and a half years of his reign, it will be a time of peace and prosperity on this earth. At the end of three and a half years, then his mask will be removed and the judgment of God will be poured out. When the Antichrist comes, he is going to establish a one-world government. So he establishes a kingdom of peace for three and a half years. He establishes one-world government. John refers to that in symbolic language in Revelation 17. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are seven kings. These are rulers of the world. They are seven kings. Five have fallen. One is and the other has not yet come. All right, so when John now is looking at the world and the kingdoms of the world that have been, he said there have been five kingdoms that have fallen. That would be the kingdoms of Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. He says they have fallen. They, they have come and gone. One is, that was the Roman Empire at that time. And he said one not yet come. That is the kingdom of the Antichrist. So he is going to establish one world government. The, the Antichrist will come and he will rule the world. He is going to come, establish a kingdom of peace and prosperity for three and a half years. He will establish a one world government. There will be no borders. There will be no nations. There will be one currency. It seems to me like we're open to that already. But that is what the Antichrist is going to establish. His kingdom will be atheistic. It will be anti-God. The Bible says, Then he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name in his tabernacle. That is, those who dwell in heaven. So he's going to be anti-God, atheistic. Do you know that atheism is growing in this country today? Rapidly. People are turning away from God, turning away from the Word of God, turning away from the morals and the values of God rapidly. People are turning away from the things of God. How does the Antichrist do that? I mean, how does he establish himself so strongly? Well, the Bible says to us that he dominates through miracles. In verse number 9, that is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. So he dominates then through the use of miracles. In fact, John describes that in Revelation chapter 13, and he performs great signs 
so that he even makes fire come down out of heaven to the earth in the presence of men. He performs miracles. Now, I would especially emphasize that because I think it's important to you as the people of God. Not all miracles are of God. See, I hear people running around sometimes and they talk about a miracle over here, a miracle over there. This happened, that happened, miracles happened. Not all miracles are of God. Antichrist performs miracles, even calling down fire from heaven. A miracle must be in accord with the word of God for it to be from God. So when you hear about miracles, you need to you need to judge those miracles by comparing it to the Word of God. All right, so then the church is raptured, it is called out, the Antichrist is established, and then the Antichrist is defeated. He is going to reign for seven years, three and a half years of peace on this earth and prosperity, and then three and a half years of tribulation. But he will be defeated. And he knows that. Satan knows that he is defeated. The demons know that he is defeated. The Bible says in Revelation 12, 12, the devil has come down to you having great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time. He knows that his days are numbered. Even though Satan does the things that he does, he knows that he is defeated, that his days are numbered. And so this then refers to the, the battle of Armageddon. At Armageddon, the armies of the earth are going to be assembled against Christ. In Revelation 19, 19, it says, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat upon the horse and against his army. So in Armageddon, the, battle, the armies of this earth are going to be assembled together to do battle against Christ. I've been to um, Megiddo, to that place many times. It's a battlefield. In fact, it is a, a historic battlefield, the Valley of Megiddo, of Armageddon. Napoleon said it was the most perfect battlefield on the earth. But that's where all of it is going to take. I'm, I'm always overwhelmed when I'm there. I didn't know I've been there so many times. I'm always overwhelmed whenever I look at this valley where there have been so many historic battles fought, knowing that this is where the earth is going to come to an end. This is where it all ends. And it is a, an overwhelming feeling to look upon the valley, knowing that that's where it will end. But it is there that Satan will be defeated. In Revelation 19, 20, And the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. All right, so you've heard about the Armageddon. You know, we hear about it all the time, right? This, this is going to be Armageddon and so forth. So this is the battle of Armageddon that you're referring to here. But you know what? It's not much of a battle. I mean, they all show up there to fight against Christ. And the Bible says that God just reaches down and snatches them, and it's over. I mean, it's not really much of a battle. God just seizes, and it's all over. So there's the revelation of the Antichrist. So there's the tribulation period, the rapture of the tribulation period, the revelation of Antichrist, and then the return of the Savior. Now, after Armageddon, tribulation is over, Armageddon has been fought, 
after that, then Christ is going to return, and he is going to reign on this earth for a thousand years. Did you know that? Christ is going to reign on this earth for a thousand years. During that time, Satan is going to be bound. The Bible says in Revelation 20, verse 2, And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years and threw him into the abyss. So the Bible says that Satan is going to be bound then for a thousand years, thrown into the abyss. He has no power because he's bound. For a thousand years, Satan has no power. He is bound. He is no longer able to tempt you because the tempter is tied up. He is bound for a thousand years. So he is bound for a thousand years because, and see, I said I was a premillennialist, that a millennial means thousands. I believe that Jesus is going to reign for a thousand years because I think that's what the Bible says. And during this time that Christ reigns upon the earth and creation is going to be restored. When man sinned, not only did man fall, but creation fell as well. So the Bible says in Romans 8.22, For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Now what does that mean? Well, it means that the animal kingdom is going to be restored to its pre-sin condition. Isaiah said, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the lion shall eat straw like an ox. Animal kingdom is going to be restored. I think what that means for us is I think that all dogs will be like my dog Tex. Tex was a Tex was a Christian dog. He's a Weimaraner, but he knew the Lord, and he was just a great dog. I love Tex. So Tex died and uh, went to be with the Lord. And then we got Riley. She's another Weimaraner. Now, I said Riley will never see Tex again because I don't think she made the cut. I don't think she got there. <laughs> and then I got Blue. I got Blue is my dog now. And uh, I said, he's under conviction. I think he's going to make it, but he's under conviction. But I think that all the dogs are going to be like, I think all the dogs are going to be like uh, Tex whenever, whenever he gets there. Not gonna, mosquitoes, no mosquitoes, no, no seams, none of that stuff. Because it's all restored. Disease is going to be conquered. Isaiah wrote, then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb shall sink. Folks, think about this. During this thousand-year reign, when Jesus reigns, no cancer. I would imagine some of you are suffering from it today. My sister died of cancer, and she was 49 years old. No cancer. No heart disease. My dad died of heart, a heart attack when he was 43. My brother, when he was 48, no heart disease, no diabetes, all of it's removed. When Christ reigns for a thousand years, paradise on earth, animal kingdom will be restored, disease will be conquered, the earth will blossom, I won't have to mow the yard anymore, no pine straw, no hurricanes. It's going to be a perfect environment that the Lord provides for us, and the Savior's going to be honored. You see, when man sinned, he dropped the scepter that was given to him, and Satan picked it up. And that's the reason the Bible refers to him as the prince or the god of this world. The power will ultimately be returned to Christ. And Zechariah prophesied that when he said, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one in his name, the only one. 
promise was made and the promise will be fulfilled. I say that because of this. In Luke chapter 1, verse number 31, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. That, was, that promise was fulfilled literally. The next verse says, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. That promise was fulfilled literally. The next verse says, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. If the first promise was fulfilled literally, and the second promise was fulfilled literally, I believe the third promise will be fulfilled literally. God keeps his word. So let me conclude with this. The end will come. I don't know when, nor do you. And the Bible tells us plainly, no one knows the day nor the hour, but it will come. And Jesus will reign. He came to this earth the first time as a helpless babe. He will return to this earth as King of kings and Lord of lords. He came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. He will return to Armageddon riding a white stallion. He died on the cross to forgive our sins. But when he returns, he'll wear a crown that says God of gods and Lord of lords. He will come. My question for you is, are you ready for him to come? If the Lord were to come today, if the rapture did take place today, would you be ready? Say, well, I'm a Baptist or a Methodist or a Presbyterian or Episcopalian or what. You know what? God's not really interested in your or my landmark. No one's getting into heaven because they're Baptist or Methodist or anything else. The only hope we have of heaven is that we know Jesus Christ the Savior. Do you know him? What I want to do is I want you to bow your heads with me and close your eyes. I'm going to lead in a prayer. If you don't know the Lord, maybe you're a good person or not, religious person or not, but let's say that you don't know the Lord. And today you want to invite him to be your Lord and Savior. Then pray this prayer or prayer like this. It's not, it's not the words, but your heart. If that's really what you're willing to do, your heart. Lord God, I confess that I'm a sinner. I ask that you forgive me of sin. Cleanse me. Come into my heart. Be my Savior and Lord. Thank you, Jesus. For saving me.